the privilege to be here tonight and to take part in uh, the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony Meeting. And I have been taking the magazine for many years, but it's nice to be here and to uh, take part in the meetings tonight. We've enjoyed ourselves today going around some of the Spurgeon sites and the lovely weather uh, to do it, and we certainly appreciated that. I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11, to the portion of Scripture that uh, we read. I hope you can understand my accent. Um, You've had Mr. Foster for a while, and we're not too dissimilar in accents, so... uh, Hopefully you'll be able to pick it up somewhat anyway. But we're turning to Isaiah chapter 11. And of course I'm looking at that first verse anyway. We're going to look at other verses as well. As our brother said. But it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Let's just unite together please. And let's ask the Lord to continue to bless us as we wait in his presence. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank Thee again for Thy precious Word. We are glad for the way that Thou dost direct us even from that Word. We thank Thee for these lovely titles of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, the lovely titles that are given that bring to our view some different aspect of His blessings and all that He is and His attributes. And gracious God, we'd ask thee that thou wouldst help us to uh, re- uh, reflect and to view our blessed Redeemer tonight. Oh, that our eyes might be turned heavenward. We pray that we might turn our eyes upon Jesus, that we might look full in his wonderful face, and let the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And so, gracious God, we look to thee, And we pray for thy blessing to be upon us tonight, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. In the portion of scripture here, we have this intriguing title of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is called here the branch. And you'll notice straight away that it is not a particularly flattering title. He's not even called a strong bow or a grand cedar or a beautiful magnolia tree, or something like that, but he's called a branch. Now the Hebrews expected that their Messiah would be a deliverer, and he would be a king, and he would come as a conquering prince, and he would have great power and glory. And so, in some ways, they might have been taken aback by this common title, the branch. But when we look at what the Bible has to say about this title, Uh, we can see some of the beauties and glories afresh of the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, this is not the only passage, as our brother has said, in which the Lord Jesus is given the title. In Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, you'll notice if you were to turn to it, Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, you'll notice that the title is given in the capital Letters. It says, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And you notice that the title there is given 
in capital letters, which means it's the title of Jehovah. The same thing is true if you turn back a few pages to Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 8. I will bring forth my servant, the branch, in capital letters again. So this is a divine title. And uh, the Lord Jesus, of course, is divine. The Lord who is omnipresent, the Lord who is majestic, is the one who has given himself this uh, title. It's a provoking title. It is uh, a wonderful title. If we think of it tonight for a few minutes, it is something that if we get into our hearts and if we begin to get the real meaning of it, it's something precious. It's one of these facets. You know, the Lord is like a multi-sided diamond. And you hold the diamond up to the light and you turn it round and you see all the different hues that are in the diamond. And so, as you've been thinking about the titles of the Lord Jesus, and you've been thinking about the different aspects, you're getting another view and another aspect of what he is and what he has come to do. So I think that it would be a blessing to us if we can see our Saviour afresh, if we can be brought nigh to him, if we can be brought into his presence, if we can lift our eyes heavenward afresh tonight. What a blessing that will be to our souls. So let's think about this title, The Branch. And there are a number of things about that title that I want you to see. And the first thing that I want you to see here is the stock of the branch. We often uh, speak of a person or a plant coming from good stock or from bad stock, meaning the inheritance that it has or the lineage that it has. Well, look at the stock from which the branch will come in the text of Scripture here in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem or the stock of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So the picture here is the shoot. It's really a picture of a shoot coming out of a stump, like a a little shoot uh, out of a stump that's almost dead. And this little shoot comes out, uh, showing that there's life there. And of course we're reminded of what we are told in Isaiah chapter 53. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, a little suckling, and as a root out of a dry ground. There's the picture of that which comes from unpromising circumstances. And there's a lot of meaning there when you just look at it, look at it uh, as we think of this picture. And as we think of the stock of the Lord, we are reminded of his humanity. We think of the Messiah, he's the stem of Jesse. That means that he has an earthly lineage. He has a human lineage. In Hebrew idiom, they use the tree or the branch to speak of the lineage. And even today, of course, in our own English idiom, we think of the branch of a family or the family tree. We use the same type of idiom. But it reminds us that the Lord Jesus had an earthly family. He was born true humanity. And we think of his true human family, and we need to underline that afresh. Sometimes, of course, he's God and man and two distinct natures, yet one person forever. He is God and he is man, the theanthropic person. But we underline his humanity here. And that's an important truth. Truth. You know, in the days of John the Apostle, there was a heresy known as docetism. 
And they were teaching that the Lord Jesus was not really a man. He just appeared to be a man. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote in 1 John chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3, he said, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now is already even now already is it in the world. And John said, that spirit that denies the true humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ is an anti-Christian spirit. He was born of a, a virgin. And John saw that as vital. And he says, if you deny that, you can't be a Christian. Perhaps you wonder why John felt so strongly about that truth. Maybe it's not one that is very much underlined today. Well, he realized how vital it is. Because if the Lord Jesus was not truly man, then you undermine the whole doctrine of the substitutionary death on the cross. Because if he was not truly man, he could not be, he could not have died for men. We think of Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17. And if you were to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, look, and what it says there, Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17, it says, For verily he took on, not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abram. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest to, in, all, in, in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And John, or the writer of the Hebrews here, Paul, he is saying, he's saying to the people, he's saying, well, the Lord didn't take upon him the nature of angels because he didn't come to save angels. He came to save men. And you notice the words there, it behoved him. That just means he had to. It was a necessity for him to take upon him the the form of a man. He had to become a man so that he could be our saviour. And he left the splendours of heaven, knowing his destiny. He came down into the sin-cursed scene of time in love for you and me, that we might be redeemed, that we might be saved. And he suffered hunger and thirst, and he suffered ultimately death in our room and in our stead. What love that is! That our Saviour showed when he came in his humanity. Not only had he to be man, to be our substitute, but of course as our mediator too. Uh, sinners need a mediator, and he'd want to stand for them. In First uh, Timothy 2 and 5, where it says, For there is one God, and one mediator between God and man, and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is the mediator because he is both God and man. So he had to represent, he represents us in the presence of God. And even now, in his mediatorial work, he represents us in the presence of heaven itself. But there's another wonderful truth that is underlined by his humanity. Not only his substitution, but his sympathy. 
because he's the sympathizing Savior. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Because he came as a man and suffered hunger and thirst and was uh, had to sleep and so on and so forth and went through this world and was scorned and was mocked and uh, was a man of sorrows and equated with grief. He understands our sorrows. He understands our griefs. He understands when we go through the hard times. You know, there are times when we think that there's nobody there. The psalmist uh, very often cried out, Lord, why have you hid your face from me? But the Lord hasn't hid his face. Sometimes we're not just listening to him. He's there all the time, but we're not just listening to him. But he is a sympathizing Savior. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. And in the midst of this world in which we live, in which there are so many difficulties that we face, it's good to know that there's a man in the glory who sympathizes with us, who puts his arms around us, is there to bear us up and knows our tears and knows our griefs and knows our mourning. So as we look at the, the stock of the rod here, the branch, we notice his humanity. But also I want you to see his humility. Because the branch, it says there in the verse, if you look there, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall go out of his roots. Now where it speaks of the roots there is really meaning the stump, but I want you to notice something. He doesn't speak about the rod of David. Although, of course, he is from David's lineage. Jesse is the father of David, of course. And uh, he could have said very easily, he is from David's line. And, of course, in the Bible it speaks of him being of the house and lineage of David. Why then Jesse? Why does it mention Jesse? Well, David is a king. And of course at times his kingship is emphasized. And he is a king. And he is a prince. And he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. But I think there's a deliberate choice here of the name Jesse. Because Jesse was not a king. We might say he was an ordinary man. And I think that there is something there to indicate his humility. And he came in humility. He came of the house and lineage of David. But when he came... The house and lineage of David was not on the throne. They were, uh, was he not called the carpenter's son? And the carpenter, of course, is a very honorable profession to, be, to have today, but not in the days of the Lord. It was a very lowly pr profession. And we think of what was said in Isaiah again. He, he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And that's the way that he was treated. And he came in humility. And isn't that the way that he's treated today? By so many. They despise him. They despise his followers. 
They uh, make light of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they uh, and uh, and we are counted as nothing. Well, they are trying today to to criminalize almost God's people, and they would criminalize us if they could get away with it. We are counted as nothing. When when fifty thousand people, a lot of them Christians, complained about that Jerry Springer the opera, they ignored it. And then uh, when 10,000 people complained about what Carol Thatcher said on a program, uh, or off a program, it wasn't even on a program, where she referred to somebody as a gollywog, well, she was sacked. See, they don't, they don't clown Christians, thought. They don't, they despise those who are the saviors. Because, why? Because they despise the saviour. And he, he came in humility. He came in humility. Oh, the mighty God of the universe. And man took him and scourged him and mocked him and put him on that cross. But he willingly gave himself and set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. So we see the humility of Christ and the humanity of Christ. But there's another indication in the stem of Jesse here. And that's the home of the Saviour. Because the word branch in the Hebrew is the word netzer. And there is a relationship between netzer and the town Nazareth. In fact, sometimes the Jews referred to the Lord by the name Ben-Netzer, the son of Netzer, the son uh, or the Nazarene. Remember in Matthew 2, chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, They came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called the Nazarene. And what, what is, what is uh, Matthew referring to there in the prophets? He's referring to this. He's referring to this. That he would be called the Nazarene. Now you remember how the people in the Lord's day were so caught by surprise that any good thing would come out of Galilee? Uh, remember how they said, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Isaiah, as he say, we said, we said he's despised and rejected of men. But, but they shouldn't have been, you know, in many ways. They shouldn't have been taken by surprise. It was indicated in the prophets. It might have taken a wee bit of, uh, of uh, hunting and looking. But it underlines the, the importance of understanding the prophecies that we have in God's precious word. Because these people, they could have understood, they could have seen that indeed the Messiah, the Prince, would come from Nazareth. But they missed it. They missed it. Oh, they could tell so many other things that he would be born in Bethlehem and so on and so forth, but they missed it. And you know, sometimes as we look in the prophecies of God's precious word, we can mine up the jewels that are there, even in the precious word of God. So we notice the stem or the stock of the branch that is indicated in this text of scripture. The second thing I want you to think about is the sprouting of the branch. The verse says, a branch shall grow out of his roots. And you notice that it says that the branch will grow. Now I want you to see that the influence of Christ has grown. Remember how it said, the Bible says, 
uh, that in heaven there would be those of every nation and kindred and tongue and people. And you think of how the message of the Lord has grown. We think of the size of the branches influence that has grown. In Matthew 24 and verse 14, uh, the Lord said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And thank God for the spread of the word of God throughout the nations of the world. Thank God people are being reached with the gospel. Now there's a reference of course here to the way that the gospel, especially in this chapter, to the way that the gospel was spread in millennial times and millennial blessing and God will reach out and what mighty things, what revival blessings there will be in those days. But you know we think even today of the spread of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. There are so many and down the years, and the devils tried to stop the message of the gospel. Even those in the days of the Lord. And they thought, when they put the Lord Jesus on the cross, they had stopped the movement. They said, this isn't over. His followers will go away, and this will be the end of it. We have put an end. But of course they hadn't. We think of the days of the Enlightenment. And there were so many, Voltaire, David Hume, and others, infidels, who boasted that they could uh, undermine the scriptures, that they could uh, tabulate all the errors and all the inconsistencies of the Bible, and they would have it so that people, educated people would turn away from God's word. Of course, I'm sure you've all heard the story of how when Voltaire died, that his house was turned into a depot for the United Bible Society for distributing the scriptures. The communists in the last century, they said religion in general and Christianity in particular is the opium of the people. It drugs the people. You know, in China today, we're told that something like 28 or 30,000 people are coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour every day. Phenomenal growth in Africa as well. Uh, there was a the Center for the Study of Global uh, Christianity said that in Africa there are three times as many Christian worshippers as 35 years ago. Now I'm sure they include Rome and all sorts of things in that. But nevertheless, we think of the growth that there has been. Some people say that Islam is the fastest growing religion today. Other people would dispute that. Now, isn't it interesting, the only place where it's not growing is Europe. And uh, we know also that in the latter times things will wax worse and worse. And there will be a falling away, of course, as we know. But thank God that the Lord has fulfilled his word. The branch shall grow. And God has spread the message of Christ and the gospel throughout the world. And what a blessing that has been to so many. Thank God for those that have been reached in far off lands with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only we think of the spread of the size of the influence of the branch, but there's the spread of the sweetness of the influence of the branch. Now over in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, it says um, in that verse about the branch, and says, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. 
and he shall grow up out of his place. And again, there's reference to his growing up. And he shall build the temple of the Lord. What's that a reference to? Of course, we uh, would uh, believe in the literal building of the temple. He would build a temple uh, of the Lord. What, what is the temple? What was the temple for? What was the tabernacle for? Well, the temple and the tabernacle was the place where God's presence specially dwelt. It was the place where God specially fellowship with his people. Now, of course, God is everywhere. And we can worship the Lord wherever we are, in the field, at the workbench, in uh, the office, or wherever it may be. But, of course, where his people gather together, especially there in the midst, where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. But there was that special sense of the Lord's presence. There was that special fellowship. The children of Israel would go up to the temple, and we think of the Psalms of Ascent, and how they went up to Jerusalem, and they were filled with joy that they could come into the presence of the Lord. They could meet with him. And you know what is what has the Lord made us for? He made us to fellowship with him. He made us that we might have fellowship with him. He put man in the Garden of Eden. And there was that fellowship. The Lord God came down in the cool of the evening and walked in the midst of the garden. And he had fellowship with the people. We think of Enoch who walked with God and Abraham who walked with God and had that fellowship. And uh, our shorter catechism says the first question, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We are made to enjoy his presence. We're in, made to enjoy his fellowship. You know what is wrong today? So often in our hearts, we don't take time to meet with him. We don't take time. So often we're, 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 we live in a busy world and we're going here and there and there's so many things to be done. And it's part of the world in which we live. But so often we don't take time to dwell in the sweetness of his fellowship. To know his blessings. You know, the Lord wants to hold fellowship with us. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? When we think of what we are, thank God for the precious blood that makes us fit to ascend into the hill of the Lord and to dwell in his holy place. He brings us nigh to him by the blood of the Lamb. Thank God for that fellowship. And not only is there the growth in the size of his influence, but you know there ought to be that growth in the sweetness of his influence in our hearts and in our lives. So we think of the stem of the branch and the stalk of the branch. We think of the uh, uh, growth and uh, the spread of the branch. But the third thing I want you to see is the splendor of the branch. Now the word translated uh, branch there is a word that is derived from a root word which means verdant or bright. So it's it's the thought from which Nazareth, actually they thought, think Nazareth gets his name from that because Nazareth up in Galilee 
is a very green part of Israel. It's a very fruitful part. And there are wildflowers and all sorts of things in that area. And because of the fruitfulness and because of the green, they say that's why it's called Nazareth. And uh, the branch here is not a dead branch. It's a living branch. It's a beautiful branch. It's a verdant branch. And it speaks of his glories here. And in Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 2, it also speaks of the glories of the branch. It says in Isaiah 4 and verse 2, In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. So we may say there's certainly a beauty and there's a splendor about that branch. And the thought here is of that which maybe is not outwardly beautiful at first, but when we look carefully, it's, it's a thing of beauty. Of course, the world despises the Lord, as we said. And those of us that know the Lord Jesus, if we spend time in his presence, if we draw nigh to him, we ought to be able to come to that place that is spoken of in the Song of Solomon, where it says, Yea, he's altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. He's my beloved. He's my friend. And we think of the beauties of the branch. We think of its flowers. There's a mention, or there's a thought even in the meaning there of the flowers. And we think of the, the flowers that come on the trees and the wonderful scent that you can draw from the little plant. And the same is true of Christ. There's that scent, that perfume that comes from being in his presence. Second Corinthians 2 and verse 15 says, For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. He says, we, God's people, he, the apostle, he says, we are a sweet savour. And that's something to say in this world. We are a sweet, there's a, a fragrance. There's something about a Christian that's different. There should be something different about the Christian. There should be that fragrance, that sweet smell that makes what people wonder, what, what is, what has that person got? What has that person that I don't have? What is this sweet fragrance? And as we bask in his, of course that's the fragrance of Christ. The person that basks in his presence, that fragrance permeates, you know, it's not a very good illustration, but you know, sometimes you go into, or in times gone by, you went in a smoke-filled room and you went out, came out, and you smelled of smoke. Well, on the opposite, if you come into the presence of Christ, you come out smelling sweetly of our Savior. So we think of the flowers of the branch. We also think of the fruits of the branch. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5. And there we have a mention of the fruit of the branch. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5. It says, Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper 
and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Now, it speaks of our Saviour um, executing judgment and justice, but you notice what it says, he's our righteous branch. And then it goes on in verse 6, In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. We think of that day when Israel will be saved, but it speaks of the righteousness of Christ. And that speaks of that rightness, that righteousness that he has. So this branch will produce righteousness. He is righteous in himself. He is altogether perfectly righteous. But also there is that sense in which he produces that fruit in his people. Now we're not righteous, of course, in and of ourselves. But his righteousness, thank God, is imputed to us. His righteousness is given to us. We have our sins forgiven and his righteousness given to us. When we stand before God, we'll not stand in our own righteousness, thank God, for we have none. But we'll stand in his righteousness. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul speaks of the saved as those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. What a fruit that is for the soul. We are given righteousness in Christ. And not only do we have the righteousness of Christ, but then we are to do that which is righteous. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. On a few occasions Paul Uh, Paul urged Timothy, follow after righteousness. So righteousness is not just to be our standing, our our place, uh, our status in heaven and before God, but it is to be what we do, we are to, as we are joined to him, do that which is righteous. Our lives are to be marked by holiness and righteousness as we walk. And what a transformation that is that the branch brings about. Because we're not righteous and we recognize it. But you know, thank God, that in Christ we, can, we are changed. We're new creatures in him. As we walk with him, we put to death, mortify the deeds of the body. As we walk with him, we are able to walk in the fruit of the Spirit and have that blessing of holiness of life. You know, old Robert Murray McShean once said, Make me as holy as it's possible for a saved sinner to be. So the Lord Jesus came into this world and he was the branch. You know, if he had been a rich man, people would have said, Well, that's the explanation of the influence that he had. He had riches. If he'd come into this world and he was a powerful man, some political power was an earthly king in the sense that he was on the throne of Judah at that time, they would have said it was his political power and his influence that explained who he was. But he came in humility. And the only explanation is that he was who he said he was. He was the blessed Son of God, the Lord of righteousness, the Messiah the branch, the root, and offspring of Jesse. 
Oh, what beauties, what glories, what splendors we perceive in him, even as we think of him by this title, the branch. Oh, may God write his word upon our hearts, and may we in these days contemplate our Savior, and may those fruits and that fragrance be our portion as we seek to serve him day by day. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. We'll just have a wee word of prayer before I hand back to Mr. Thomas. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank thee for this wonderful title of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, at first it seems to be an odd title. It seems to be uh, something that would not draw out very much adoration or praise. And yet our God, when we think of the one who humbled himself, and came and took upon him the form of man, and came down to this world to be our Savior, and to give us righteousness, and to give that fragrance in our lives. Oh God, what a blessing. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Savior. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. Oh God, may we rest and abide in him. For it's in Jesus' precious name we ask these things. Amen.